This is Healthcare's Missing Logic Podcast, episode number 31. Today's special guest is Charlie Alexander from the National Academy of Medicine. Charlie talks with us about the latest landmark report from the National Academy of Medicine, Taking Action Against Clinician Burnout, a Systems Approach to Professional Well-Being. This is a critical report calling attention to the safety, health, and well-being of healthcare clinicians. You don't want to miss this, so keep listening. Hi, healthcare leaders. I'm Tracy Christofferson. And I'm Michelle Trosett. We're your hosts for Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast, and we are so grateful you joined us today. You're about to see healthcare problems and challenges through a brand new lens and take your leadership to a whole new level with this podcast. We've coached healthcare leaders from across North America for over 30 years as they strive to establish healthy healing organizations and thriving work cultures. This is the only podcast that shows healthcare leaders how to apply polarity thinking, the missing logic in healthcare, to their reoccurring challenges so they can stop wasting time, money, and resources on fixes that fail. If you want to create a healthy healing organization where staff and leaders thrive and perform at their highest level, where values are aligned, outcomes are sustainable, and the highest quality of care is delivered, then this podcast is for you. Keep listening. Each week, you're going to learn how to leverage a polarity mindset and manage competing priorities as we use a polarity lens to explore everyday challenges with the leaders who are striving to manage them. We're thrilled you're here. Well, hello, everybody. This is Tracy. And Michelle, welcome back. We are very excited, as usual. (laughs) We're going to have to find some other way to describe our experiences with this, Michelle. (laughs) Isn't that the truth? Uh, But uh, today we have a very special guest, uh, Charlie Alexander from the National Academy of Medicine. And I think one of the things that I am thinking about, Tracy, is the power of invitation. Mm, Yes. Yes. So I had the privilege of meeting Charlie at a meeting in Washington, D.C. over a year ago. And uh, we've been watching her and her role as the senior director of the National Academy of Medicine's Action Collaborative on Clinician Wellbeing and Resilience. And we thought, wouldn't it be awesome if we could get her on our podcast? So we made the invitation and she said, absolutely. Yeah. And she's just a delightful person. And what a leader. Mm -hmm. I mean, really, like this is a phenomenal undertaking. And to be leading this effort and bringing all different kinds of people together, right? To start this whole effort and to work collaboratively. That's no minor undertaking. No, that's not an easy feat for sure. (laughs) No. And I just learned, I learned a lot and I really have an appreciation for the intention um, that went behind this, right? Beginning way back with the collaborative action, you know, and, and moving all the way into the new NAM report. Yes. And I really appreciate learning about how they're balancing um, art and science mm-hmm. as they really look at ways to bring the nation together to address the seriousness of burnout. Yeah. Yeah. So how about if I tell our listeners a little bit about Charlie? Absolutely. So Charlie Alexander is a senior program officer at the National Academy of Medicine, where she directs the Action Collaborative on Clinician Wellbeing and Resilience. It's a network of more than 200 organizations committed to reversing trends in clinician burnout and improving the well-being of healthcare professionals. 
Charlie also co-directs the National Academy of Medicine Culture of Health Program. Now, that's a multi-year collaborative effort funded by the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, and the goal is to identify strategies to create and sustain conditions that support equitable, good health for everyone living in America. Charlie graduated from the University of Chicago with a bachelor's degree in political science and received her master's degree in public health at the John Hopkins Bloomberg School of Public Health. So without further ado, let's listen to our interview with Charlie. Okay, let's do it. Welcome, Charlie. We are so excited to have you on our podcast today. I'm very excited to be here. Thank you for the invitation. You bet. And we want to share with you that um, it has been so wonderful watching you and your teams over the past years work on this national initiative to address clinician burnout. Uh, Tracy and I have had our eyes all over it because we know it's so needed. And just share with us, what's it like to be part of such an important national initiative for you? Um, Well, first, I want to say thank you for your continued involvement in this important topic. Um, It is a lot of our team doing the work along with our committee, um, but this is a big tent project and we wouldn't be able to do the work that we do without um, folks and organizations um, and committed people coming to the table and showing up. So I appreciate um, our collective efforts. Um, It is... Incredible. Um, in many ways, it feels um, it feels like I'm I'm trying to put my arms around this gigantic forest because there are so many trees in there, so many areas um, to take action, um, awareness raising, and the U.S. healthcare system, as you know, is this massive um, massive institution um, and a lot. Of clinician well-being, I think, is symptomatic of how our U.S. healthcare system is. And so uh, when I think about the work, it's very fun, um, but also challenging. And every day I am astonished by um, our committee, our staff team um, coming together to develop these resources, to make connections with different stakeholders in the field, um, and to do it with um, integrity and care and compassion passion and heart um, by not um, or and also um, not compromising on um, the evidence and um, what we need to do uh, to move the field forward. So it's um, it's been a wonderful experience and I'm, I'm grateful that I get to do this work with um, with with these great folks. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. And like I said, it's been really um, awesome for us to watch it unfold. And um, one of the things, I just had a flashback of you and I talking briefly at one of the events in Washington that this work doesn't happen overnight, right? It takes time and you have to be very intentional and you have to be, you know, to show the outcomes. And um, so we're really grateful for it being there and for being a part of it as well. Well, and it takes a village, right? (laughs) It does. It certainly does. Yeah. And thank you for your leadership. Yeah. Yeah. My pleasure. So we all get to see Charlie Alexander, you know, um, from, you know, the whole collaborative and what's happening, but we want to know a little bit behind the scenes about Charlie Alexander. Share something with us that most people probably don't know about you, like maybe some hobbies or other interests you might have or something, you know, that everyone wants to know. (laughs) (laughs) 
Okay, I'm not sure everyone wants to know, um, but I really enjoy singing and acting, and so I've done musical theater. I did it from kindergarten through college, um, and so any chance that I get now to, you know, if I'm singing at home or if I'm going to see a play in D.C. or in New York, um, I, I really like to take those opportunities to do so. Um, I think performance allows us to express ourselves and to connect with people on a different level, um, which is why I've tried to integrate a lot of the artistic component into the Clinician Wellbeing Collaborative as well. I think it's something that is common among us, um, and using that as an entry point for the Clinician Wellbeing Collaborative has been both personally and professionally fulfilling. Oh, so that's where that came from. <laughs> yeah. And, you, you know, when you say that, that you've been doing this since you were in kindergarten, that reminds me of my granddaughter who's in preschool who loves to sing and perform. It's just her, the highlight of her week when she gets to do that. So mm-hmm. that's really cool. So um, the work, you know, again, this has been significant work. And while the report was just published, the work began quite a while ago. And it began with the Action Collaborative on Clinician Wellbeing and Resilience. And can you just tell our listeners a little bit about how that got started way back in, what was it, 2017? Way back in 2017. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, so we um, are fortunate to have a number of excellent collaborators Two, I will lift up um, because they were catalytic for establishing the collaborative. And that is Daryl Kirch, um, president president emeritus of the Association of American Medical Colleges, and Tom Naska, president and CEO of the Accreditation Council for Graduate Medical Education. And these two leaders uh, were responding to distress, um, burnout, depression, and suicide among their respective populations, so among medical students and residents, and um, they knew that they needed to take action. And so they reached out to the National Academy of Medicine president, Victor Zhao, to see if there was a role for the NAM to convene all of the many organizations that have been working on this topic separately um, to align coordinate and move towards collective action to really achieve more together than we could as individuals. So we certainly recognize that there was a lot of um, activity in the space, not just uh, in the House of Medicine. Um, The House of Nursing has also been doing a lot of this work, especially when it comes to um, moral injury, for example, um, and just incivility in the workplace overall. And so it was important for us to bring folks together um, and work at the same purpose by focusing on the system rather than um, continuing to focus on different professions. And so um, we had a number of planning calls and meetings um, from organized medicine and nursing. Um, We also had government agencies at the table, healthcare organizations. And we talked about what some of the issues are facing our healthcare professionals and our uh, patients today. And there was widespread agreement about the value of having the NAM come into the space, right? We're a neutral convener. We don't necessarily have a dog in the fight. We're trying to bring stakeholders together who might not normally 
come together in the same room um, and to facilitate um, kind of understanding about where we are, where we already agree and where we don't agree, having important technical and philosophical conversations about how we can get there. Um, and so it was the outcome of some of these earlier conversations and meetings where we decided to launch the collaborative. We did so in January 2017. Um, the first goal is to raise visibility of clinician burnouts, depression, suicide. Um, two, to improve baseline understanding of the challenges to clinician well-being, and then most importantly, to advance evidence-based multidisciplinary solutions that will improve patient care by caring for the caregiver. Um, and really to take that systems approach. We're not looking um, at individual solutions as much as we are looking at action at the healthcare organizational level and the systems level. And that is because the NAM, um, it's kind of our sweet spot where we can bring the different systems level players together. And so that's where we focus our efforts. Um, we know that individual interventions and individual care and support is needed I'll say again, it's needed, um, but the unique value add of the collaborative is that we can bring together those systems players to make dramatic change for the field. Well, that is significant because that, that's a true interdependency, right, between the system and the individual. And some of the systematic changes may not even be as effective without the individual changes that need to happen. But I can certainly understand how NAM, this is your sweet spot mm -hmm. and this is what you bring. So that I'm really, that's really helpful to hear mm -hmm. that. Mm -hmm. And the organizations that you work with have a very kind of systems lens as well from yes. you know, where they're coming from. So, yeah. Yeah. So, um, the other thing that uh, we really thought was wonderful that the NAM did with this collaborative is that in addition to your originator stakeholders, the, the organizations that came together that really shed the light of the issue of burnout, rolled up their sleeves, put out their pockets and said, let's do something together, that you also opened it up for what you call networking organizations. And Missing Logic was very happy to... Um, to join in that, to share our commitment, to share what we're doing to help allevi alleviate uh, clinician burnout from a system individual perspective. And um, so tell us a little bit how many networking organizations there are today and the impact that's had for you in this collaborative. Absolutely. Um, we have about... 220, maybe a little bit north of 220 network organizations that are involved in this work. And network organizations uh, were not a term that we used at the National Academy of Medicine before. We kind of pioneered it with this action collaborative. And that's because so many people and organizations were interested in this work. Um, we had capacity limits in terms of the number of working group participants that we could have on board. Um, but it was important to us to make sure that if people want to contribute to this work, they have the avenue to do so. Um, I don't have all the answers. Our committee doesn't have all the answers. If we had all the answers, we uh, <laughs> probably would not be in the state that we are in. And so I think more ideas, more cross-pollination, more stakeholder engagement is the way to go. 
And so network organizations are committed to clinician well-being. They either currently have planned activities in this space or they are planning to do so. Um, they've been instrumental for the collaborative because they provide inputs on our activities. Um, they answer or respond to our surveys to help us think about the resources that we're going to develop, the meetings that we're going to have, um, and what some of the barriers are today that provide real-time information for us to be able to tailor our work to the needs of the field. Yeah. Um, they also either provide recommendations for reviewers for resources or they serve as reviewers in their own right or authors um, or they speak at meetings. Um, but really, it's um, they're providing input into the work of the collaborative um, they're amplifying our efforts, they're informing us of work that's going on in the field, and then that allows us to in turn support their efforts. Um, so it's been, uh, it's been a fun partnership so far. I would be interested to hear from the two of you um, how you felt as a network organization and how we might be able to bring network organizations even more into the fold. Um, but I will say that we are always looking for more network organizations, and I'll be pleased to um, circulate to the two of you the link for folks to do so later on. Yeah, well, that would be great. It would be. We'll include that in our show notes um, as well. And I think from our perspective, first of all, um, I think it's great that you're pioneering this concept. And when you look at other landmark reports from IOM, NAM, it's you're right. There's never been this invitation to be engaged uh, from wherever you are in the work that you're doing. And so it keeps us informed because we get notifications of every activity. It helps us to provide input. Um, we never miss a webinar or anything because, you know, you're, you feel like you're part of the process and you're contributing to the issue. So I think Tracy and I have found it really wonderful to have that connection. Yeah. And it gives you an opportunity, I think, to feel like you're contributing to the greater purpose, you know, and that you're not just a recipient of the work of others, yeah. but that you can actually bring forth your perspectives, your experiences, you know, your expertise uh, in uh, to really be a part of that whole uh, effort because it's just so significant. And I think it's so heartfelt, right, for so many people. And uh, so, yeah, I think it's wonderful. And I think it's really great that you have done this. And I, I guess one thing that came up for us is in one of the sessions, one of the very first sessions I think that we attended, somebody said, what about individuals? How can individuals contribute? How can individuals make a commitment statement? And uh, so we thought that was really interesting. So we opened up an opportunity on our website for people to do that, to make a statement. Oh, that's fantastic. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. great news. Yeah, yeah, we really try to engage individuals. We, I, I would say that we mostly engage individuals through our in-person convening activities and through our webinars that you've yep. mentioned. Mm -hmm. um, it's a little bit more difficult to do so as a network organization, but we've uh, I get calls all the time about people 
as you say, Tracy, just being really connected to this work and it's, um, they feel called to participate and that's something that I certainly understand. And so when I get calls or when I meet people at meetings, um, I try to find a way to engage them in the work. And so then we end up with content reviewers or authors or speakers. Um, and I have found that folks find that as meaningful engagement. And I know that the collaborative certainly benefits from their expertise. Um, so always thinking more about how to engage individuals and organizations in this work. So thank yeah. you for your insight. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and it, the other thing is, you know, we know that it's not just you and your team doing this work, as you said earlier, Charlie, but the work groups, the committee, the volunteers that you've gathered, they're really core to the Action Collaborative. And we've also, because like I said, we've been just observing the whole uh, initiative that you've changed the work groups as the work has evolved. So why don't you give our listeners a little update today and what the current work groups are, what your focus is on today in the in the collaborative. When we launched in January 2017, we knew that we needed um, to do some foundational activities to make sure that we had a firm footing um, upon which to build. And for that reason, our first working groups were focused on um, research, data, and metrics. So um, our first paper that came out in July 2017 was really, what is the magnitude of the issue? What do we know? And what don't we know? I think there was a research agenda in there that included maybe 65 questions um, that the field could could pick up and, and move forward. Um, we also developed a conceptual model of the factors affecting clinician well-being and resilience. We wanted to put in graphic form um, all of the factors that go into um, clinician well-being, not necessarily as a diagnostic tool. That's not what it is to be used for, but just so people could see the entire um, ecosystem that, of this work. Um, we had a third group focused on messaging and communications, um, which was very important when we first started out. Um, we've changed a lot of our language along the way based on feedback um, from folks in the field. Either terms didn't sit quite right with, um, with them or we've become more inclusive in our language. Um, and because uh, the work that we do really focuses on the system. We took a lot of pain to make sure that we were communicating to clinicians that uh, we were not blaming them for being burned out. Um, it's not the individual's um, quote unquote fault. It is the system in which they operate. And so we had to be careful with our language when we first began. Um, and then finally, we had a group that looked at external factors and workflow. So it was really focused on administrative burden, the electronic health record, and team-based care. So based on one of the surveys that we fielded to our network organizations, um, we learned that folks are generally convinced that clinician burnout exists and that it's an issue and that we should be measuring and involving clinicians in system redesign. But how? How do we do that now? And so we had to move from um, foundational activities more towards action and implementation. And so now we have six working groups one is focused on engaging leadership to transform organizations to improve well-being. 
Um, in the first two and a quarter years, we successfully engaged frontline clinicians, but we have not yet made the strong case to leaders and armed them with the resources necessary to advocate um, for dollars uh, being deployed to address clinician well-being. Um, two, we want to break the culture of silence. And so we're aiming to reduce barriers to addressing mental health, even talking about mental health um, and, and help-seeking behaviors, and to advance new norms, policies, and practices um, to reduce uh, the barriers. We also want to take some lessons from the patient safety movement um, and begin uh, to have organizations measuring um, and taking action on clinician burnout in a similar as possible manner so that we can kind of compare across healthcare organizations and begin to move the needle. Um, four, we want to advance new models of workflow and documentation that support clinician well-being. Um, by, minis uh, by minimizing some of the tasks that don't directly contribute to patient care. And um, we had this report come out in October. And so thinking about how all of those recommendations um, fit into the working groups and vice versa, um, the consensus process is a protected process. So we weren't entirely sure what the recommendations were going to be. Uh, but when we saw them and compared them to the Action Collaborative's new working groups, there is significant overlap and alignment. And so we felt um, good about the structure of the collaborative moving forward. Um, so, yeah, that's where we're at now. Happy to answer more specific questions, but I hope that provided kind of a good overview about our, our framing before and now and what we're trying to do with the working groups. Yeah, that was very helpful and excellent overview, Charlie. And one of the things um, that we're going to do is we're going to put in our show notes your website because... There's so much information there. There's so many resources as these work groups have been working over time as well. Um, so, yeah, thank you for that. Yeah, I think it helps to see how the processes and the groups are evolving to support the next step, right? To mm -hmm. support this action and implementation phase, which is going to be critical, right? going forward. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So thanks so much for that. And, you know, I think too, you know, we were just, Really excited to see the culmination of three years of work, right, with the consensus report. And, um, you know, just really excited that, right, it's right up there with To Errors Human crossing the quality chasm. And we know how significant those reports were in the transformation of healthcare and the safety and quality movement. And that, you know, this, um, serious, serious issue that we're facing with burnout and resilience in healthcare uh, clinicians is at that level, right? That it's got that level of attention and intention uh, mm -hmm. to take action and to address it. So I, I just think that's mm -hmm. phenomenal. And, you know, those, those other two reports had a significant impact on us. You want to share your little 50 cent story, Michelle? Oh, <laughs> yeah. I, I was telling... Uh, Tracy, that when I got the report in my hand, and I showed you the other day, I have it in my hand now. It's so exciting. It reminded me, it took me back to 2001 when I had just left a large healthcare system to do point of care transformation in the field. 
uh, for many years across North America. And as I was transitioning jobs, my husband took me out for breakfast because I didn't have a job for a week. It felt unreal. (laughs) (laughs) And he took me out for breakfast. And as we were walking out of this restaurant, um, this was back when they, in 2001, when they actually had newspaper stands outside restaurants. (laughs) And I kind of looked and it just jumped out at me. Uh, The USA Today, the headline was U.S. healthcare system broken, like in big letters. And I got goosebumps and I looked at my husband. I said, give me 50 cents. (laughs) And I got the USA Today. I sat in our car and I read it and I said, this is what the work I'm doing is about, the work my colleagues in the field are doing. And this is so important. The timing of that report coming out with what we were trying to do, it just had alignment and it gave everyone focus, the organizations we were working with, our team and the approaches. Mm -hmm. And um, that's how I feel about this report. It's another very important, viable report that will help really get everyone synchronized on what really matters most. What do we need to do? uh, How do we do it? together to take on the challenges. And um, yeah, so we do really value the reports that come out of the Institute of Medicine then and the National Academy of Medicine. And um, I just know it will help move the needle. And that's what we're really here for. Yeah. And I I think the other thing is it just validated the work that we have been doing with organizations, right, to create the best places to give and receive care. And so it was like, wow, we're doing the right thing. (laughs) You know, and I think for organizations that are taking action around clinician burnout and improving well-being and resilience, they may find the same thing in this report. Yeah. And I think it, it moves you from the individual experience to become a part of a shared purpose. That's Mm -hmm. what I see in these reports. And I think that intention from your team and from you and really creating that space and having that intention to have this report have that kind of impact is just going to be aligned very well with everybody else. Thank you. I appreciate that feedback. And it, um, I'm excited. I wanted people to feel like this was their report, right? Like, great. I've been feeling this. I've been thinking this. I don't necessarily have the evidence, but as you say, Tracy, it kind of validates um, the work that has been longstanding in the field, right? Burnout is not new by any means. Um, Healthcare professional well-being has been a challenge for decades. Um, And so I appreciate um, you sharing that story with me. So, um, So thank you for those reflections. Yeah. And I think it's, I think for those that are experiencing it, it's an acknowledgement mm-hmm. of the seriousness of what's happening. And to your point that it's not about blaming anybody. Right. It's about right. let's 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 take this on and let's make it better. Right. And so it helps them to feel like oh, I'm not alone, number one. And this is real and mm-hmm. it is important and it is significant. And uh, so I think they feel acknowledged as well. Um, one of the things I was curious about is um, what's your greatest hope you know, I, you know, you mentioned that you wanted it to be their report, but is there anything else that you would say that as you were working on this, did you have like, you know, a, a couple of really, you know, primary hopes that this report would have an impact on or influence? Mm-hmm. So when we launched the collaborative, we did so always knowing that there was um, potential for a consensus report. And so when we launched the collaborative, it's because we knew that folks needed information, resources, support today, um, but that the consensus report would come 
a year and a half, two years later and would provide a bit more gravitas um, to what we've been working on, a little bit more validation to bring that back in. Um, And so they were always planned in that kind of way. I was very excited by the systems approach in the report. And I think that if folks can really kind of wrap our collective minds about systems thinking to make some of these changes. Um, Cause you might think, you know what systems thinking is and then you read the report and it's like, Oh, this is, Oh, this is what systems thinking is. I, I I'm in that camp myself. So I'm not, um, I'm, I'm looking within there. Um, but if folks can really begin to look at the system and um, to put patients at the center of this work, um, I think everything else would naturally fall into place. I think we've gotten to a place, as the report notes, that wasn't from bad actors. It was um, a lot of people operating in this space, maybe at the same time, not talking to each other, and then we end up with a series of unintended consequences. Um, So I guess the systems emphasis, if we could keep that, that would be fantastic. If we could put patients at the center of the healthcare system um, by using a systems approach, I think that would do um, well for us. Um, And then finally, I had something on on the tip of my tongue, but it's gone. It was going to be a nice uh, three-point summary, but now uh... (laughs) That's all right. Hey, I'm going to say everybody. No, it it's might, a two it point. might come back later. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Feel free to just bring it back in at any time. <laughs> okay. We'll edit it back in. Yeah. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> oh, oh, that's the other thing. Um, See? <laughs> <laughs> I've been so pleased with the collaborative, um, right? Because when we start, we have folks who uh, represent different parts of the healthcare system. Good people, but I think... Um, the different stakeholder groups didn't necessarily trust each other. And um, not that there was finger pointing, but it was like, oh, if this group did this, you know, we'd be good to go. Or if this group did this, we'd be good to go. Um, So I hope the report kind of anchors us to the systems change that we need to undertake and provides a platform for us to kind of set aside our differences from our different stakeholder groups and to see what the massive charge is ahead of us and to know that we can only do that if we work together. Good point. Yeah, good point. Glad you remembered that. Just as a reminder to our listeners, too, we'll put the whole report link into the oh, show yeah. notes as well. So if you haven't had a chance to read it, please do. And you can um, download the executive summary or the whole report or order the, the whole report so you have a copy mm-hmm. of it. So mm-hmm. that will be there as well for our listeners. Fantastic. Yeah. So one of the things that stood out to us, too, in the report is the systems model of clinician burnout and professional well-being that the, you know, that the committee put together. And as in many other things in our experience, it just points out the complexity of healthcare and that um, it's multifactorial, the issues that really impact burnout. So there isn't just one thing that we need to be looking at. And uh, as you know, Tracy and I are missing logic. We believe is so uh, what's so needed in healthcare is to look at the problems that we deal with, but also to look at 
um, things that are issues that are actually polarities or they're interdependent. And we can't help ourselves, Charlie, when we look at your model, we just see the polarities. (laughs) We see that how we need to look at it to look at it not only as the items within the uh, model itself, but how are the items within that model interconnected or interdependent so we can be intentional on how we take the actions is, I guess, an easy way to look at uh, look at that. So um, when we um, look at it, there are several different polarities that kind of jump out at us, and we just wanted to uh, take a few minutes to talk about some of the what we call crux polarities. And so um, one of them was in the report, um, there was quite a bit about work-life integration. And there is a lot out there about the whole myth is, is there such a thing as work-life balance? And how do we look at this? And it's at the heart of a lot of the burnout issues. And uh, polarity that Tracy and I have worked with a lot of different leaderships and clinicians on is how to balance work and home as an example and help them uh, identify action steps that they need to take on really having their best work experience and their best home experience, um, you know, as an example. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, um, I think historically what we have learned anyway, and this is, you know, just based on what we've been exposed to in the term of integration is that, you know, these are connected, right? That it's not mm-hmm. about one or the other. And I think people like the term integration too, because they find it difficult to even think about a balance, like thinking of balance as a 50-50. And what we've learned in polarity thinking and applying, you know, that lens is that it's never about a 50-50. It's about a dynamic dance between the two and that they're really connected and bound together as an interdependent pair. So I think I think it's very much in alignment. The polarities are in alignment with uh, what's brought forth around work-life integration. It's just a different way to see it and to see how that integration or how that interdependency acts. And I think that's why we kind of look through this lens at the report too, is that all polarities act the same way. And we know that if you neglect one of the poles like work, right, uh, then you're going to end up in the downside, right, of your over-focus on home, as an example. So it's just kind of how they work and the predictability because they all work the same way. So that's why we take this lens and we're so <laughs> we're so passionate about it, right, because you can actually predict what's going to happen if you don't do that yeah. dynamic dance between two. And uh, the other thing that we thought was really interesting, too, in the report, and one of the uh, polarities that came out in the overall report was in the systems component and the factors that were delineated between job demands and job resources. And when you look at that, and this would be in multiple different layers, and you have to dive deep down into each of the demands and each of the resources, but that in itself, those overarching categories or factors are actually an interdependent Pair. In other words, you have to have both mm-hmm. in order to reach that greater purpose, right, of clinician well-being or professional well-being or resilience, depending on what the, the greater purpose is of that particular demand or that need for a resource. Uh, but these kind of things, they just work together and they're bound together with that energy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we experience that energy as tension. Mm-hmm. And that tension is what's been being experienced across the country when yeah. it comes to many of these factors. That's why they're contributors right, to, uh, well, um, burnout or, you know, some of the other depression and, you know, some of the other effects as well. 
Well, and the report even called out it's due to a chronic imbalance. Mm-hmm. So it, mm-hmm. uh, to me, it just helps, it guides us, right? Where do we need to put our focus? Because when they are out of balance, that's when we experience the negative consequences. Yeah. So that, that really jumped out at us as well. Yeah. And, and what you're looking for is sustainability. Right. Yes. So you don't want to implement changes, right, that are going to only work for a little while, and then you're going to end up with negative consequences, right? You want you want to see the whole picture and be able to move it forward in a sustainable way. So that's why we're so interested in this and what's in the report and, and look forward to contributing, right, with, with this kind of a lens and helping um, you and, and others to see through this lens. Yeah. Yeah, I like this framework um, that you use because we talk about this a lot at work, but also it just comes up in our own lives all the time, right? Sure, yeah, <laughs> sure. it does. <laughs> um, and I like um, thinking about it as a dynamic dance because mm-hmm. I think sometimes when people are also trying to get back to a state of equilibrium, they're like, I'm going to put this much time here, I'm going to put this much time here, and then if I do that, I'll be good to go. And then you are necessarily kind of set up for failure because things didn't work out necessarily as you were planning. But if you can keep that flexibility in mind and not feel like you have to compromise on one of the two all the time chronically, um, I think that really does help us think about this work. And it's um, when it comes to job demands and job resources, I was thinking about this a little bit. I don't know if anybody's ever really going to feel like they have all all of the job resources that they need to do yeah. well. Um, so it's not the report and, and you all are not saying that we need like an increase in these resources across the board or else we're not able to, to yeah. proceed. But I think it's hearing from clinicians themselves what they actually think the resources are that they need and having an open conversation with who can provide those resources um, to kind of get to where the disconnect is. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, um, I'm excited about this, this framing and I was wondering if this came up. I know that you maybe have a couple of other examples, uh, from the report where it's really two poles and how we can Mm -hmm. navigate. Yeah. Well, the other one was the technology, a technology platform and a practice platform. And we know the technology is getting a significant amount of attention right now. The usability of the technology is, you know, noted in the report, but there's also a practice platform component to that. So to really actually leverage the technology to the greatest potential, you don't only have to have a strong technology platform and have, you know, all the elements in the technology that you need, but it needs to support the practice and the way the practice needs to occur. In other words, the care delivery, right? Mm -hmm. Provided by interprofessional team members. And so Mm -hmm. if you don't have a strong platform and a consistency and a standard for that kind of care, then you're going to be at risk to have the technology not be able to support it anyway, right? And so you're going to end up continuing, right, to have unintended consequences of this. So it's just bringing attention to the need for both platforms. I don't know, Michelle, if you want to add more. Well, the only thing I would add to that is, you know, when you brought up systems thinking before, Charlie, 
the rapid rollout of the electronic health record is one of the major technology, you know, platforms is they were designed individually in different organizations across the country. And we didn't really have a systems approach. And as I talk to people today, they're like, you know, they would love it if the EHRs all look the same. <laughs> they're tired of them all looking different and acting different. That contributes to our interoperability issues. So we have a lot of work to do in that space. And um, you mentioned earlier, and we couldn't agree more that, you know, the technology needs to really focus on what's important for patient care and the communication between professions, because things that's where things fall through the cracks. And um, not so much about meaningless things or repetitive things that you have to do that they really don't bring value to your workflow and why we're here. So that's a huge space. And that's a major polarity that Tracy and I've been working with for many, many years. And we were very excited to see the large amount of um, the whole chapter in the report for um, technology. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. A lot of clinicians lift it up as a major pain point. Mm-hmm. Um, and Michelle, as you're saying, even if we do have interoperable EHRs, which I agree is a need, even if they are interoperable and they still have all of this excess data collection inside of them, um, are they serving the needs of patients? Um, and just, I guess, to put a fine point on it, technology should really enable clinicians to do the jobs that they uh, were trained to do. Um, But right now it just feels additive and not of value to mm-hmm. the care for the mm-hmm. patients. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think uh, I think there's opportunity for change. I think um, if we can continue to bring different stakeholders together, clinicians in particular with technology uh, vendors um, and healthcare organization leaders, I think there is a way forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. I think the report, as you say, provides us a lot of meat and guidance for how to redesign a lot of these systems. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think our... Our biggest um, hope, too, is that we don't find ourselves in the same situation down the road, right? So, you know, the other polarity here really in the whole clinician focus comes from our emphasis on the patient experience and not that that's not needed, right? And it was definitely needed at the time, and it still is needed. We have to really make sure the patients and families are having the very best experience and the quality care now we're lifting up the other pole to that, which is the clinicians. The clinician. Mm-hmm. And, you know, some of the burnout, what we know about polarities is when we overemphasize like we have on the patient, we ended up in the downside of that, which is kind of where we're sitting with the clinician burnout and some of the major challenges we're having. So it's so good to see it lifted up and to have that equality because mm-hmm. they're both so important. And that's mm-hmm. the other thing the report's going to bring is it's going to lift up that other interdependent pair to the patient satisfaction or the patient experience. So it's very exciting. Yeah, absolutely. I'm yeah. so pleased. Yeah, yeah. Well, we yeah. are too. We Thank are you too. so we are much. Too. Yes. Thank you, Charlie. It's been awesome having you here. And I really appreciated just the context setting that you did from the very beginning and where uh, the National Academy of Medicine is now with this report. And uh, as I mentioned, we've really enjoyed being a part of it and watching it evolve. And we can't wait to see what happens next. Yeah, definitely. And I, I think too, just uh, for me, it's the intention behind the effort that you've led. And uh, I think it's going to be extremely fruitful. I just, I really have a lot of hope for this. And uh, just want to thank you again for your leadership 
and uh, for that intention to really address this significant issue in our country. Thank you. Doing this work has been a real pleasure and it is a meaningful experience for me. Um, So I appreciate the work that you two continue to do and I look forward to staying connected and to making as many connections as possible to continue this good work. Wonderful. Thank you. Thanks so much, Charlie. Thank you. Thanks as always for listening to Healthcare's Missing Logic podcast. We'd love to hear and answer your questions. If you have questions, you can email us at questions at missinglogic.com and we may include your question in a future episode. You can find show notes and links at our website, www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast. If you're the kind of leader who wants to help others, then share this podcast with your peers and other healthcare leaders. We're certain if you found value in it, they will too. Please share this on your social media channels and leave us a review in iTunes. If you don't know how to leave a review, you can find instructions on our website at www.missinglogic.com forward slash podcast.